Unearthing Paranormalcy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and brings normalcy to the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. And I'm confused, Chad. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very chipper intro. It was, wasn't it? Yes. That's because I'm a chipper, 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 Amy. Yay! Because let's get weird. Let's get weird. Speaking of weird. Yeah. The dildo drone <laughs> has struck again. Yeah. In another, in town, another town this time. In another city. And one of the um one of the towns has admitted that they don't really have anything to charge them with, even if they do catch them. <laughs> so it's just like, eh, what can we do? Because like I said, it's a crime how? <laughs> if you don't remember from, I think it was last week, we talked about the guy or female. I don't know. It's male, female. Huh? Could be trans. Who knows? The human being that is flying the drone. Well, I don't even know it's a human. The being that is dry, flying the drone and dropping dildos on top of things really high up in the sky. They I, hit a Walmart. I do have a possibility. It might be Wayne Coyne. Who's Wayne Coyne? Of the Flaming Lips. Why do you think this? I don't know. He just does pranks like that sometimes. He does. And the Flaming Lips are from Oklahoma. Oklahoma. I mean, I don't know if this would be his style, but he does do a lot of pranks. But you would think that if it was them, they'd do something in like downtown, like Bricktown. Ah, yeah, true. Like. Where they have the street named after them. Where they have a school defund. Yeah. Not so much like Moore. You know, Toby Keith is from Moore. I, I don't see Toby putting dicks on buildings. But it could be. So fuck you to cancer. Yeah. I say fuck you to cancer all the time. But that was just a little update we found out today on the... We actually were looking to see if they'd been caught. But... Apparently, they don't really have, they're not really going after him because there's not really anything they can charge him with. Yeah. His IP address got linked, so they had leaked, so they have been looking for him. They have. But he hasn't been caught yet. What's the crime? (laughs) He puts dicks on top of water towers. Again. What's the crime? It's a victimless crime. So, 
Yes. Before we get started with this week's episode, uh-huh. let's go ahead and hear a promo from one of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network shows. Yes! Hey there, Luxa here, host of Lux Cult, a podcast where we gleefully taunt the mundane, butcher the Latin and most other languages, and also discuss variety of occult topics. Exploring the intersection of science, magic, art, and philosophy through the lens of chaos, it's occultism for everyone. Lexicult features interviews with badass authors, artists, and magicians of all walks and experience levels, as well as audiomantic nonsense, cut-up poetry, bibliomancy breaks, and so much more. Don't miss the special two-part episode where Dave and I talk about his path of druidry and go into some of the botany of the plants represented by the Oum alphabet. Also, hear Dave read a guided meditation for the Green Mushroom Project, which is a large-scale group working focused on building connection and regaining ground that you can be a part of. You can hear Lexicall on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. So tune in and join us for the ride. We love Luxa here. We do so much. Mush love. Uh-huh. I see what we did there. Because mm-hmm. mushrooms, it's like a pun. It is. <laughs> and... This week's episode, we're going to be going as a road trip. It's just a haunted location. And it is the Ohio State Reformatory. Oh. I watched a few episodes. I watched uh, Destination Fear, where they went there, and Portal to Hell, where they went there. Pretty interesting things. Yeah. But I'm going to be coming at you from the book America's Most Haunted. By Teresa Argy and Eric Olson. We have used this book many times to the point that there is only one more location that we have yet to cover in this book. <gasps> then we got to get another book. Or we need to Yay, find more haunted locations. Books, new books. I wonder if they wrote any more books. I'm sure they have. <gasps> this is a good book, actually. It was. It, yeah, <laughs> it has been, for sure. All right. All right. So... The Ohio State Reformatory is in Mansfield, Ohio. We actually have a whole lot of listeners from Mansfield to Ohio. We do, and thank you all for your support. We also have a lot of listeners from Mansfield, Texas. And there was another Mansfield on the list. So apparently there's lots of Mansfields, and we have a lot of listeners in Mansfield. (laughs) And those that are unfamiliar, this is... Just northeast of Columbus, uh, kind of in between Columbus and Cleveland. Go Browns. Oh, wait. I divorced them. <sighs> it's really hard to break my, my fandom. It's not as hard as you think. I am leaning now toward more towards Tampa. <laughs> the Ohio State Reformatory at Mansfield has always been an iconic, iconic structure. Although it once represented... A brighter path for thousands of wayward young men who passed through its corridor of stone and steel. Despair and violence played an equal lo- role in its legacy. The cold stares of the prisoners long removed from their cages seems to follow visitors as they walk the stark, desolate cell blocks. Decades after their sentences were complete and a number of inmates linger in the form of Mansfield's many ghosts. Yeah, if you haven't ever seen this place, look it up. It looks awesome. It kind of has like, I don't know, kind of like a castle looking design or like a manor looking design. Well, and that was part of it is the design, the designer of it, because it was a home for wayward boys. He wanted them to walk and feel daunting as they walked in. Oh, it does. 
It opened for business amid much local fanfare in September 1896. On December 31st, 1990, it closed. It was closed by the federal court order because of brutalizing and inhumane conditions. Over 154 inmates passed through the gates over the years, but more than 200 never checked out. Victims of disease, murder, accidents, and suicide. Built with an idealistic eye towards the rehabilitation of young first-time offenders in the middle cog of the graded state pen system between juvenile boy industrial schools and hardcore Ohio penitentiary, the reformatory was intended to be much more than just a warehouse for convicts. It was a self-contained city featuring working a working farm, a tailor shop, a cannery, a shoe factory, a furniture factory, and print shop. The castle-like structure reflecting Romanesque, Victorian, Gothic, and Queen Anne influences was designed by famed architect Freemason Levi Scoutsfield. Of the nearby of nearby Cleveland, with a lofty goal of leading young delinquents into the rebirth of their spiritual lives. <laughs> if you've ever seen the film Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. this is where it was filmed. Oh, it is. I did not. I hadn't gotten to that point, and so yeah, interesting. I actually love that movie. I do too. I haven't seen it in a, a few a few years, actually, but it's a good movie. Sadly. Within a few decades, the Ohio State Reformatory had gained a reputation as one of the country's more beleaguered prisons, plagued with overcrowding, violence, disease, and federal civil, civil and federal civil rights violations, living up to the popular inmate nickname Dracula's Castle. Oh, that sounds foreboding. Not surprisingly, a number of murders and suicides erupted out of these conditions. Most spectacularly, a 22-year-old inmate named Lockhart immolated himself in the cell in order to escape the confines of the reformatory in 1960. Oh, my goodness. That is like one way I don't want to die. Yeah. Suicide advisory. Yeah. With its past, the prison includes the murder of two guards and the killing of the reformatory's farm boss and family who were kidnapped and shot to death by vengeful parolees in the middle of the notorious Mad Dog killing spree in 1948. But by far, the most perplexing death in the reformatory was that of Helen Gladke, wife of longtime superintendent Arthur Gladke, who died as a result of a gunshot wound in 1950. Though her death was ruled accidental, questions remain, and her spirit is thought to be one of the most active in the prison. Cool. The visually striking 250,000 square foot stone structure, with spo- with, which boasts the world's largest freestanding cell block, has been the setting for numerous TV and video productions and the featured films The Shawshank Redemption, Air Force One, Harry and Walter go to New York, Falling Angels, Tango and Cash, and The Dead Matter. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, I guess if it shut down in 1990, all those movies were made in the early 90s. Yeah. True. The facility is operated since 1995 by a nonprofit Mansfield Reformatory Preservation Society. 
whose members work tirelessly to keep the piece of history alive, giving the reformatory a new life and historical as a historical landmark and world-renowned paranormal hotspot. The Mansfield Reformatory Preservation Society has worked to remove debris, replace roofing, and restore the superintendent's quarters and central guard room between the east and west cell blocks. Funding, funded by tours and ghost hunting fees, paranormal investigators and thrill seekers have flocked to the Ohio State Reformatory in droves for sold-out public overnight ghost hunts since 1998. Now, how much is a drove? Um, more than a handful. Yeah. But less than a shit ton. Less than a shit ton? Inside the Central Administration Building was the infirmary, a library, a chapel, a large open room on top, the fourth floor, and smaller adjoining rooms on one side and a large window on the other, which was used variously as a tuberculosis isolation ward a guard's dormitory, and even a shooting range. Bullet holes have been found inside the walls and ceiling. Here is a personal experience from Teresa. Whoa, wait a minute. Like a shooting range, like... Like pow, pow, pew, pew. Where they, like, executed people by firing squad? No. Probably just like a practice range. Oh. Yeah, probably just like a sh- like a practice, oh, a shooting oh. range. Because some some prisons do have those rooms where they execute people by firing squad. Do you know Ohio has uh, not in Ohio, Idaho has reinstigated or reinstituted the firing squad. Yeah, yeah. I th- I want to say a few states have. I think Oklahoma never got rid of it. In Oklahoma, you can still be uh, put to death by firing squad for stealing horses. Nice. Still in the state law. So, don't steal a horse in Oklahoma. Don't <laughs> steal a horse anywhere. No. Leave the horses alone. Well, I mean, stealing a horse has always been punishable by death, even back in the old West days. Save the horse. Ride the cowboy. Exactly. Yeehaw! All right. Teresa experienced in 2007. In 2007, I was a member of a Paranormal Researchers of Ohio, or PRO for short, a long-standing, well-respected investigative, uh, investigative team out of Cleveland founded by mother and daughter Pat Murray and Carrie Herbert. On her previous visit, Carrie had been startled by a, the sudden appearance right in my face of a man dressed in a prison, in prison blues as she investigated a, blank, a vacant cell causing her to scream and run like a little girl. Zikes! Yeah, if I if I turned the corner and came face to face with something, I'd probably do the same. Yeah, I don't do well with the jump scare. No, no, me either. Hence why the rule one of the rules in our house is they're not allowed to show themselves. Yeah, one of my rules is you can't jump scare me in my own house. Yeah. Even adults, like or even people, human beings. Oh life. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we learned long ago not you don't jump scare Dave. No. Yeah. I'll go, Zikes! <laughs> <laughs> he will attack. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Me too. I'm 100%. So were my fight. children. <laughs> yeah. But I still, I don't know what it is about jump scaring our daughter. I do it so frequently. I don't do it to our son as much as I do it to our daughter. I do it to both pretty often. But uh, I think it's the reaction. He, he'll cry. 
Yeah. She, on the other hand, just gets pissed off and starts hitting me. Yeah. She's 100% fight. (laughs) (laughs) One day it's going to hurt and I'm going to have to quit doing it. I'm surprised you didn't after she smacked you with that wooden sword. Both children have smacked me in the nose with a wooden sword when I did a jump scare. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently I didn't learn to not be on their levels. You also didn't learn to make sure they didn't have a weapon. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think it would happen twice. It's like getting struck by lightning twice, right? How often How often do you get hit in the face by your child's wooden sword? Well, if they have a wooden sword, you're going to get a hit at least once. I would say a lot. But, you know, what are the odds of the, both of them turning the corner and having wooden swords in their hand to whack me when I jump scare them? Uh, when you had multiple wooden swords, it was pretty high up. And I think it, both of them happened in our bathroom. Yeah, I think you're right. <sighs> I learned a lesson. I made sure they don't have a sword in their hand before I scare them. (laughs) All right. Back to Teresa. I made the 80 mile journey south to Mansfield for a public ghost hunt on a frosty night in November of 2007 with pro members with pro member Laura Carrie, who now sought investigation redemption and about 150 other enthusiasts to see what we could scare up in the prison. She said 150? Wow, that's a lot of people. That must be a drove. Yeah. The thin blanket of snow covered the ground, and we were anticipating another helping of white of the white stuff before morning. <coughs> yeah, man. You gotta <laughs> do something to keep, stay awake on those long ghost stunts. Only a small portion of the imposing stone effaced is heated, so the temperature inside is reflected within. But the cold did not chill our enthusiasm. We sensed that this was going to be an epic evening. The festivities began with a fascinating detailed tour of the entire complex with special emphasis on the historical and ghastly hot, uh, ghostly hotspots led by our Ohio State Reformatory Ghost Hunt Coordinator, Scott Suckle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Who who has roamed through these halls since 1998 and calls Mansfield Mansfield Reformatory his own private paranormal laboratory. Laboratory. (laughs) Didi, get that to my laboratory! (laughs) We were also each given an excellent map of the complex created by Scott so we could navigate the prison's 250,000 square feet as a effectively as possible in our uh, on our own in the dark after scott's time in the spotlight another volunteer chris vance became our personal guide and regaled us with more history detail and stories chris warned us that as women we need to take we need to be extra careful female visitors volunteers and workers at the reformatory often report being touched Slapped, pinched, and otherwise manhandled by unseen hands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cheapers. We had one that was doing that in the last episode that we had haunting. I have pinching, pinching butts. Pinching butts. The booty. The booty. We shrugged it off, but his warning was prophetic. We headed to the so-called tuberculosis ward and spent almost an hour taking pictures and conducting EVP sessions 
with a digital audio recorder. The three of us spread out in an effort to cover every nook and cranny of the spacious but oddly tight-feeling room. With each step I took and the gloom, the energy seemed to change. And then a palpable sadness engulfed me. The sick and dying had long since gone, but I could feel their despair oozing from the pocketed and peeling walls, thickening the, thickening the air. Suddenly I felt an intense pressure upon my chest. The drawing and drawing a breath became alarmingly difficult. I had to fight the compulsion to cough. I was empathetically experiencing the painful labored breathing of someone stricken with tuberculosis. I had never felt anything like it before. A few long, scary moments later, the pressure lifted and I could breathe freely, gratefully again. When we had thoroughly explored the area, we decided to move down to the chapel on the next level. I walked out the door into the corridor and down to the cramped flight of stairs leading to the narrow hallway and another flight of stairs. My still trembling hands guided my descent in the murk. On one side of the corridor was a smooth stone wall and on the other a wooden handrail. I took several steps down the hall towards the next set of stairs and then three quick hard yanks on my ponytail jolted me from behind. My head jerked back uncomfortably with each pull. (laughs) (laughs) I startled as I was as startled as I was by this. My immense reaction, my my immediate reaction was annoyance. Ha ha! Very funny. I said and turned around to confront Carrie, who I assumed was playing a joke on me. I finished the last word. I stopped in my tracks. Carrie was at least eight feet behind me. Intensely reviewing picture on her intensely reviewing a picture on her camera. She looked at me bewildered. What did you say? Did you just pull my hair? I asked. What? No, I'm having problems with this stupid camera. Laura, who was right behind Carrie, noticed my puzzled look and said, You look like you've seen a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) The blood drained from my stricken face and I began to shake. Someone just pulled my hair. I thought you were playing a joke. I wasn't even near you, Teresa, Carrie replied. Yeah, I see that now. The three, the three of us examined the hallway, trying to figure out a logical explanation. There was nothing nearby for my hair to catch upon, and neither did it get tangled in my coat. I wasn't near the wall, and there was no one visible behind me. Even as we shifted into investigator mode to try to debunk the incident, I knew it was futile. This was not the case of a misidentified sensation. Sensation. I hadn't imagined it. My hair was pulled. My head was yanked backwards three times. Someone or something wanted my attention, and they got it. The entire... The entire incident took only a few moments, but when I play the memory back in my mind, it folds in a detail of slow motion. I remember the sensation, the terror welling up, terror welling up inside me, the reaction I got from my f- friends, the puzzled looks on their faces, and how they changed when they realized what had occurred. 
It was this moment that my view of ghosts and the paranormal changed irrevocably. irrevocably. Now it was a tangible, physical, objective. I realized not only that ghosts were real, definitely very real, but they can touch you. And if they can touch you, they can hurt you. Or worse. I was only a few feet from the stairs in the dark, and the three yanks could have just as easily been a shove. This wasn't just fun and games. This was something beyond current logic and physics. A spiritual fire ignited in me. And that was the moment I decided to get dedicate my life to understanding to the understanding of the paranormal. And meanwhile the ghost is just there like Lady, I was trying to save you from walking down that flight of stairs in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, come back this way. Kick, kick, kick. About an hour later, we ran into our personal tour guide, Chris, at another area of the prison. I was still quiet, shaken up, but charged with a burst of energy that propelled me through the rest of the evening. Chris did not seem surprised at all when I told him what had happened to me. For a moment, I thought that he didn't believe me, but then I realized this story he had, was a story he had heard before. I warned you. I warned you. I warned you. That I warned you. I warned you. I warned you that something might happen, he said with a grin. Consider yourself lucky that only your hair got pulled. He reminded me that other women had been pinched, probed. Nope. Pritch. Probed. <laughs> Pinched, prodded, and even smacked on the rear by an invisible agent in the reformatory. <laughs> prodded. <I got> probed. <laughs> probed. Probed. Chris suggested I write up what happened in the Ohio State Reformatory's visitor evidence book. As I logged my experience in the book, I was shocked to see how many other women had experienced the same thing in the same area of the reformatory. This made me feel quite a bit better about what had happened to me. I knew I wasn't crazy. This experience remains among the most profound of my career. And I was honored to share it on an episode of Biography's channel, My Ghost Story. This is Puck Pop Scott. You are struggling. <laughs> this is Scott Suckle's experience. It's pronounced Suckle. Thank you. <laughs> uh, OSR ghost hunt coordinator. About 10 years ago, I was showing the last handful of people around on a public ghost hunt at about 4.30 in the morning. The building was dead. <laughs> they wanted to check out the third floor of the West Administration building before heading home. We went up there and the group scattered to different rooms trying to pick up any last bits of evidence for the evening. I was just standing there in the middle of the hall. The next thing I knew, something punched me in the left kidney so hard that it put me down on the ground and made a bruise that lasted several weeks. Wow. I've never felt anything like it. I tried to pick myself up and brush it off not letting the guests know exactly what had happened. My priority changed immediately to getting them out of there safely because I didn't know if this thing was going to lash out at anyone else. I went to the doctor 
and there was nothing physically wrong with me that could have caused the pain and bruising. I don't know what hit me. I don't know why it hit me. I don't know if I was at the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time. It just depends on how you look at it. Or were you at the right place at the wrong time? Oh, or the wrong place at the right time. That is absolutely bonkers. I can't imagine being struck by some unseen entity as hard as it can in my back. That's not a norm- normal. That's not normal. It's not a normal occurrence. No, and, and he's made it sound like it, it wasn't either. I mean, he's at this place frequently, and this is kind of like a one-off incident. Well, that was one thing that I watched when I was watching Portal to Hell. The person that Katrina and uh, Jack were interviewing said that he believed that there was something demonic there, too. Yeah. And to me, if it's something that's going to hit hard enough to actually physically bruise somebody or scratch somebody, it's definitely a negative entity. Now, I don't personally believe in demons, like in the sense of they're Satan's minions, but I do believe that there are negative entities out there that do wish us harm. More for their own entertainment than anything else. But, But that would be what most people would consider, I guess, a demonic entity yeah so let's move on to the superintendent's quarters the tragic and mysterious demise of helen glatke not all resident spirits of the reformatory are former inmates one of the most famous lived a comfortable even stylish life of the superintendent's wife perhaps she couldn't bear to leave or perhaps she still had a story to tell arthur glatke helen bauer met while working on the governor campaign of Democrat Martin Davey. Davey won office in 1935 and appointed Gladkey, who had, been high school, who had been a high school coach and teacher in Toledo, superintendent or war- warden of the Ohio State Reformatory in 1935. He and Helen were married in that same year. The, at the reformatory, the Gladkeys, who had two sons, lived in the front castle-like portion of the facility away from the dark realities of the cell blocks from time from the time of their marriage until Helen's death in 1950 around 10:15 Sunday morning November 5th 1950 Mrs. Glotke a catholic was getting ready for church the official report states that while reaching up in her closet shelf for a jewelry box she ac- accidentally dislodged a hidden 32 caliber semi-automatic handgun which fired a bullet into her left lung as it hit the floor. Wait, So you're thinking the same thing. So as she was reaching for the jewelry box, she she dislodged the gun, which went off as it hit the floor and shot her in the lung. Oh, it was her gun? It was a gun hidden in the closet. Probably her husband's gun. Okay. Well, I just don't understand what he'd be doing in a closet. Lots of people hide their guns in their closets. Okay. That's where dad and mom always hid theirs. Put it on a shelf. Out of the reach of the kids. Yeah. I just. I mean, if he's the superintendent there, why isn't it on him? He probably has one on him. He probably has multiple guns. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some people have lots of guns. I know we're not a big gun toting family, 
Some, a lot of people who like guns have lots of guns. Usually, if you like guns, you have at least more than one. And, <laughs> and I don't like guns, and I have three. And typically, if you have a gun stored, you don't have the ammunition in it. Yeah. If you're a responsible this gun handler. This is also handler. in the fi- 1950. Yeah. So they probably just didn't even care. Probably was someplace ready in case the... I mean, they lived in a, in a prison, so maybe in case they had they had one loaded for her to grab in case of oh, yeah. uh, riot or something, and yeah, she just and it is it in the over. bedroom probably so they could lock themselves in the bedroom and have well, she probably just knock it there. over reaching to grab the jewelry box, but I'm sorry, I just wouldn't put anything I'd be reaching for next to it, like yeah. But you said it was a revolver. It right. was a 32 caliber semi-automatic handgun. Not a, I mean. Oh, okay, okay. That's another thing I was confused. Like, is a revolver so that won't means fire it already had to have been the, chambered. Yeah, and the hammer would have had to be back for it to fall down when it hits the ground. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, because kind of like a revolver will go off if you drop it if the hammer's cocked back. But why would you store a gun with the hammer cocked yeah. back? Yeah. That's just asking for fucking trouble. Well, and again, why why would a responsible gun owner store a loaded gun with one in the chamber? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Ready to fire. But that's also coming from people who don't. Store. Coming from people who were raised around guns and had gun training. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And it shot her in the left lung. Mm-hmm. She died of complications from the injury at Mansfield General Hospital two days later at the age of 41. Oh, man. That's almost as old as I am. Whispers circulated amongst the inmates and staff that the superintendent had been involved in an extramarital relationship and that there had been a vocal argument about it just the night before. It was rumored that Helen had come home early from work, discovered the indiscretion, and wanted a divorce. Some alleged that Arthur had killed his wife to cover up this affair or to preclude a career-threatening divorce. There is no evidence. <laughs> <laughs> this was a time where it was it was taboo to get divorced, but not not so much taboo to kill your wife to avoid getting divorced. <laughs> you know how? <laughs> and that's so weird that well, it was like that in America. It's at one still point. that way at some points. You got to think of like family annihilators. Like, yeah. What's Chris Jerkoff that killed his wife and two daughters because he had a girlfriend on the side? Yeah. It's like just fucking leave them. Why are you killing them? Like, because yeah. I don't want to sh- give them any of my money. Like, it's just one of those things that it's just sometimes it's better just to leave than to murder. <laughs> yeah. Most yeah. times it's better to leave than to murder. I mean, uh, I mean, just how they said, like, a career-ending divorce, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, that was probably the reality at the time. If he would have got divorced, they, Especially he would have been Catholic. fired. Yeah. yeah. Especially and then, Catholic. Yeah, if yeah. they were Catholic, then he would have probably got excommunicated. Yeah. But he won't if he murders her, huh? <laughs> well, there's no evidence. <laughs> so bonkers. Well, being... The warden, too, he can just change that he's going to know about the idea of how to change evidence. Oh, yeah. There is no evidence beyond the persistent rumors that Helen Gladkey was murdered, nor that her death was anything but an accident. 
Oddly, no outside investigation was ever conducted, although a number of gun experts have stated it's very unlikely that a 32 caliber semi-automatic pistol could have discharged in the manner stated in the official account. I mean, we have some non-experts at this <laughs> table that say that that sounds like it's BS. So, <laughs> yeah. could it have been self-inflicted? And maybe. Because that's another big thing, especially at the time being Catholic. I think it still is. It is, with yeah. Catholics. That he didn't want anybody to know she had killed herself. But usually if you're going to shoot yourself, you're not going to shoot yourself in the lung. I guess she, she was aiming for the heart. Yeah, typically... I mean, statistically, women shoot themselves in the chest. Do they? That's what I've always heard statistics of. I don't know. I knew statistically women don't use guns. Well, yeah. But if they do it, they usually shoot themselves in the chest. I think, like, psychologically, it's like they don't want to mess up their face. I don't want to mess up my makeup. I want the mortician to still be able to make me look beautiful. So everybody can envy me while I look dead in the casket. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, self-inflicted is a possibility, and he would be covering that up to protect her. Yeah. I mean, that could make sense, too. Yeah. Because you can't, like, from what I understand of the Catholic Church, you can't be excommunicated by, like, God. You can be excommunicated by the clergy. But if the clergy doesn't know, then they can't excommunicate you. Yeah. It's so you can still stand a chance to get into heaven. Although you're going to purgatory, I believe, if you kill yourself. Well, yeah. At least in the Catholic eye. I don't know. Yeah. It's super complicated, and I I wasn't raised Catholic. Yeah, I wasn't either. I went to Catholic Mass a few times, but... I d what I know of it, I've just studied. I wasn't cute enough to be a Catholic. For research, <laughs> not because it's like a fetish or anything. Yeah. All right. But, of course, very unlikely, and it's not the same as impossible, but very unlikely things happened every day of the week, perhaps twice on Sunday. Back to the... It well, shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Um, on and and oh. maybe that's what it is. Maybe her purgatory is staying there. Maybe being trapped there. She thinks she's in purgatory, being trapped there. Yeah. She's, yeah. That's why her spirit. It's is a purgatory on. of her own making. Yeah. If you think about it, like if your spirit gets trapped here, and that's what ghosts are. I mean, just from that model. Yeah. There's several models of what makes a ghost. Well, and I very much believe that your afterlife will be what you think it's going to be. Hmm. Yeah. Like you create kind of your own reality in your afterlife. And if she thinks she's going to purgatory, what would be more purgatory than being stuck in a prison for the rest of existence? Especially if you're there while your husband's still there cheating on you. Yeah. Yeah. That can be a good time with all those other malicious spirits around. True. All right. And on February 10th, 1959, so nine years after she died, Arthur Gladke, a man, a large man who had been a football, who had been a star football lineman at Wittenberg University in the 1920s, suffered a heart attack at the off, at his office desk and died shortly thereafter at Mansfield General Hospital. Some believe that Arthur was haunted by the spirit of Helen, 
a ghost thought to be Helen had been reported around the Ohio State Reformatory shortly after his, her death. Even while the prison was still in operation, employees and visitors claimed to smell her distinctive rose-scented perfume emanating through the hallways of her former living quarters. The ghost hunters have caught glimpses of her walking through her pink bathroom, through her pink bathroom after she'd as she did many times while alive. After Arthur's death, people claimed her muffled conversations claimed to hear muffled conversations between a man and a woman all through the superintendent's house, perhaps echoing the reported argument of the night before her death. However, Dr. Ted Gladke, son of Arthur and Helen, told investigator Rebecca Muller in 2005, I find it hard to think of a spirit staying in a place rather than staying, staying with people who are important to that spirit. I think that the, quote, haunting, quote, a house or a Ohio State Reformatory is a concept left over from a time when people didn't have didn't move very far from their birthplaces. What if the Ohio State Reformatory was completely destroyed? I have little respect for the stories that I have seen because of all the inaccurate pieces, such as the places where my parents died. Neither died at Ohio State Reformatory and the sensationalism regarding their lives. In a recent phone conversation, Ted, a retired professor of audiology at the University of Arizona, told us that he had no memory of the fateful day when his mother was shot. He believes he must have been outside at the time. Dr. Dr. Glad Gladke also told us his, that his father was devastated by the loss of his wife. And the household, once alive with visitors, parties, and live performances, became a somber, sedate, and insular in the aftermath. Oh, wow. Which would lead me to believe that he may have covered up a suicide. Yeah. Or, I didn't realize she had a young kid who had no recollection of what he did that day. Maybe he's blocked it out because maybe he was playing with a gun and accidentally shot her. Yeah. Playing cowboy spinning around. Who knows? That happens kids actually a lot still today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kids, kids get the gun, play with it, and accidentally shoot somebody. Yeah. Usually it's themselves. But Yeah. Unfortunately. I guess the main takeaway of this is, you know, be responsible if you're a gun owner. Yeah. Somebody can't accidentally shoot themselves with it if there ain't no bullets in it. Yes. Especially if you have children. I know. Yeah. I mean, ours is not like super like a home protection gun, so we don't even store the bullets near the gun. Yeah. Because ours is more of a hunting rifle. Yeah. My main form of protection is a big battle axe. <laughs> <laughs> Mine are killer cats. Yeah. But, you know, it's one of those things that like... Yeah, you just got to be responsible. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's the Sarah main even has a lock on it. that. And Chad over here with his 50 million guns that he's acquired from dead people. Now, like three guns. That he's acquired from dead people. Yes. <laughs> I think she brings up a good point. A lot of people say like, oh, you're trapped to at where you died or something. I think it's more complicated than that. I think you're trapped. 
if you are trapped, you're trapped in a place that you're probably familiar with. Yeah, that I you think have so. a lot of memories with. And this could just be a lot of residual stuff. I mean, all the hauntings attributed to her are the smell of her perfume. Her walking the halls of a home she walked for years. Yeah, that more of that residual stuff. I, and I they, didn't hear anything about EVPs or like interactions or. Yeah, well, we're going to come into some personal experiences, so maybe they'll have something. But I know like on Porter to, Portal to Hell, they were telling this story. Yeah. And they t- got to the rose perfume. And Jack goes, that's crazy. He said, because when we were walking up here, I thought, who has on so much perfume? Mm-hmm. And nobody there had perfume on. Well, so, but yeah, I would still consider that a residual type haunting. Yeah, I was, I would too, especially if she's walking through her bathroom. I mean, to me, that would be more residual. But I don't know. Let's see if hey, any of the experiences. She might have gallbladder problems in the afterlife. No, oh, that would suck. If you had to take it with you, <laughs> you, you get you get to. The other side and all the organs you've had removed or put back in you and you're like, fuck. <laughs> That's why ghosts cry. Like, I, have my I shouldn't have eaten Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you remember the one where uh, I think it was in a past life's one. He was on his way home with McDonald's and he got into a motorcycle accident. Do you remember this at all? And he wanted chicken nuggets? Yeah. And it was whoever got his... um, I can't remember if it was his stomach or his heart. That's right. It was... Yeah, whoever got his organs. Yeah. It was his heart. Was just craving McDonald's like crazy. And they never never were a McDonald's eater. They were like a organic health food nut until they got the the heart replant air transplant or whatever. And then the, the, yeah, they couldn't get enough chicken nuggies. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, that was in our um organ transplant episode. Yeah. With the people who have organs transplanted will sometimes have personality changes or all of a sudden start liking something that the donor was big into. And even like behavioral changes, like people will go from being kind of homebodies to like outdoor explorers. Yeah. Which I mean, some of that could be attributed to, you know, you got a new organ that's helping you feel better. So now you do want to go mountain climbing or something, but, but there was also the reverse of that. Well, and then, yeah, there was the, the guy who all of a sudden started liking music that they never liked before. Yeah. And and people whose sexual orientation even changed. Yeah. To learn a different language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wild stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Should we get into Teresa's experience? Yeah. In July 2010, Kathy Weber and I were making our way wearily from the central guard room to the administration wing at the tail end of our investigation just on the verge of dawn when we were starting to we were startled out of the drowsiness by a piercing sustained cry of a woman inside the superintendent's quarter 
The sorrow at the heart of the cry spoke volumes to us as a woman, a mother's pain, a wife's anguish. She wanted us to hear and feel we did. Kathy and I searched in vain for the source of the audible abnormality, but found nothing and no one. When we caught up with the other remaining investigators who had been off in the cell blocks, we were shocked to find that they had heard the cry as well, assuming it came from us. We assured them it had not. In March of 2012, Kathy and I once again encountered what we believed to be the spirit of Helen Gladke. We were eager to return to the exact spot where we had heard her wail nearly two years before. A room-by-room investigation of the quarters led us to Helen's bedroom, the scene of her accident. As I crossed the, th- crossed the threshold of the doorway, I, immediately, I was immediately hit with an overwhelming sense of rose perfume, so strong I could taste it. I called to Kathy to come and see if she noticed it, the smell too. She did. As experienced investigators, we immediately ruled out each other as a source of the floral fragrance. No serious gun ghost hunter should wear perfume or scented lotion on an investigation, as they may make it impossible to detect phantom smells. The rose perfume we detected had an antique quality about it, like it, like that of a decorative bottle of my grandmother's left over on her dressing table, the kind Helen Gerke was known to wear. Or, or it dissipated quickly, only to manifest again in other areas of the room. I followed the meandering scent into the brown and beige checkered hallway to the doorway of another room, and eventually to the threshold of the closet where Helen was fatally shot. Sadly, there was not yet any practical way to document the smell. So Kathy and I had to settle on photographs which interestingly yielded a strange rod-like anomaly in several of them. Rod, rod, rod. <laughs> so Scott Suckle, or Suckle. Now, the rod ones, those are like the light phenomena that are they're usually light. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And they're, okay. they're like an orb, but they are shaped more like a... They're more cigar-shaped than UFO, or than... Uh, Circular. The male spirits. Okay. Yeah, they're the male spirits. <laughs> now, those, some of those, how, like, orbs could be dust or insects. Mm-hmm. Can't some rods be, like, hair? They can be hair. They can be uh, flare, light flares uh, from the flash or whatnot. Mm, um, okay, yeah. They can be, it's easy to get it, like, if your camera has a string on it, like a wristband or whatever. Okay, yeah. It's commonly that um, hair, smoke, breath from your mouth. Now, one thing Uh, we used to do when we were younger is we would take pictures at the same time. mm -hmm. And there were certain cameras you'd get like this green, like light anomaly across it. And some of them would be red and some of them would be white. And it'd have to do with, I think, like the flash or something going off or <coughs> it was something like that. I don't remember how we came upon it. Now this was in 2012, so I'm betting they're using digital cameras at this point. So I don't know if those did, did it or not. 
I know I had an old camera that the shutter speed started like slowing down on it. It was a digital camera. Yeah. And I would get strange light anomalies just from straight up. It just, the shutter speed was too slow and it would just, too much light would get in. And so oh, it would cause okay. weird light, weird light issues. Like I have pictures of people holding like beams in their hand. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen yeah. them. I've seen them. Because the camera just would flare out the light in the picture and it would just look weird. The camera got haunted is what happened. That's it. <laughs> it wasn't a house that our uncle died in. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> All right. Scott Suckle had also been touched by the rose. Touched by Rose on the... In 2004, he was conducting the orientation for the 14 Ghost Hunt Guide Volunteers. He was conducting an orientation for 15 Ghost Hunt Guides Volunteers. As they descended the stairs into the living area, they crossed an invisible barrier beyond which all four rooms of the quarters were washed in a powerful rose-perfume scent. Inside the barrier, the scent was strong and could be as could be. Outside it, there was no smell at all. Everyone in the group experienced, experienced the same smell and division point. If you ever visit the reformatory, be sure to use all your senses while investigating. This is one of the few places in the United States where anomalous auditory, visual, and oral factory our oral factory and tactile paranormal experiences are reported on a regular basis. The snozberries taste like snozberries. Uh, yeah, like interesting. Hmm. This old prison toilet tastes like shit. Imagine that. <laughs> um there is a chemical called Garanile, G-E-R-A-N-O-I-L, and that is what's responsible for the sweet scent of roses. But I don't know how that would show up just randomly. It's kind of it's kind of like this smell when there's rain on the horizon. You smell it's a particular chemical that you smell. Yeah, well, I mean, smells are probably one of the most common paranormal things I encounter. Like I will smell our dad. And yeah. our dad had a very distinct smell. Cool water and stale cigarettes. Yeah, I'll smell him. I've smelled our aunt Inez. Like, there are certain times that smells will just come in. And it's just kind of this paranormal thought. Like, like I said, our dad is very distinct. And there will be times that I'm just sitting there and I can just all of a sudden I get a whiff of dad. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are times that I run into somebody who kind of smells like dad, who's got that stale cigarette, cool water thing going mm. on, and I just kind of want to follow them around. Like, <laughs> you probably stink to other people, but to me, you smell like home. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just wondering about it, because the, like, there are some people who suffer from like epilepsy that'll get a certain smell yeah. before they have a seizure. It's like a phantom smell. Some people get a smell right before a stroke, too. Yeah. Burnt toast. Burnt toast, yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I would just wonder if maybe there's something environmental, kind of like with like the rain where you smell that distinct like wet dirt smell all of yeah. a sudden. There was something to do with roses because it's very common in ghost hunts to roses smell really floral smell stuff. Like so I was wondering if maybe it has to do with like the decomposition of deteriorating buildings. Say cigarettes and cigars are another one that smells pretty common, and pipes. Yeah, are pretty common smells with hauntings. Is that what maybe asbestos smells like when it's deteriorating? Does it give off like rose scent? Sweet smell, maybe. Because with a whole group smelling it at the same time, I think it kind of rules out that it's something like aphantasia of the nose or something, or yeah, like the illusion of smell. It's probably something definitely there. Hmm. I just don't know. It's interesting. It is interesting. This is a personal experience from Teresa in the hospital ward. On a cold March night in 2012, Kathy Weber and I were exploring the old hospital ward area accompanied by Jamie Pask, son of ghost cop Stacy Jones. Jamie grew up surrounded by the paranormal, but this was his first time investigating the reformatory. Kathy had felt drawn to the ward. An image was forming in her head of a dark-skinned man in an unusual, with an unusual name, waiting for someone to visit him in the often overlooked area of the prison. After years of working together, I learned to trust her instinct. An unusual, as, un, as usual, she was right. It wasn't long before we heard what sounded like a man's cry in one of the smaller rooms in the infirmary. infirmary. As we searched for the source of the cry, it suddenly became cold to my left. I called to my companions to see if they could feel the temperature change as well. They both felt what they determined to be about a 10 degree drop in air temperature. This cold spot then vanished only to reemerge in another area of the room. We tried in vain to track the source of the cold air. We covered the space left to right, front to back, no source. However, Jamie noticed a strange light seeping through one of the bottoms of the big pieces of plywood covering the entrance to one of the guard turrets with a which was which is a fragile dangerous which is in a fragile dangerous state and off limits to the public. And the three of us watched as the light appeared and disappeared several times over the course of about 10 minutes. There was no light source beyond the plywood. It was a brick and iron stairwell that contained no windows, no holes. The three of us were spooked, but determined to carry on with our investigation. Recorders in hand, we asked questions of any lingering spirits. At dinner last week, your mother broke down in tears. How do you feel about that? Asked Kathy. All ghosts, like all people, have mothers. The iciest of hearts will melt or cringe when they mention their mother. Our mom's not here, moaned a clear male voice when Kathy played back the recorder. Between the cries, the traveling cold spot, and the strange light phenomenon, and the plaintive EVP, we all agree that we were not alone in the infirmary. She's like, say something about their mother. It gets them really riled up. (laughs) Our son did a yo mama joke. 
to our daughter. And <laughs> I said, you know who her mama is? And he looked at me. It's like, I'm her mama. So you're insulting me. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was pretty good. I was like, your mama's so fat. You don't even have a dad. I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the logic of that age. <laughs> All right. So on to the chapel. Going to the chapel and we're going to get married. Oh, I thought you were going to sing and we're going to get haunted. That too. The reformery has its own chapel where inmates could gather and worship. For some, these spiritual interludes were a much needed break from the grind of prison living. The chapel was also open to the public who sat segregated from the prisoners on the balcony. As if looking down in judgment on the inmates below. Her dropping contraband below. (laughs) (laughs) More like it. Here's Scott's personal experience. The toilet room is on what used to be the first floor of the hospital. Over the years, people have experienced shadow figures and apparitions in the chapel. The past few years, we have started to get a lady who sits in these pews. Pew, pew. Pew, 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 pew. Various people have seen her. I've seen her. We've heard her laugh, cry, sob, sing. And she's always sitting in these pews. Pew, 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 pew. Sunday, March 25th, 2012. We had a hunt. Pew, 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 pew. And about halfway through, a woman guest asked me who the lady was sitting in the right front pew. She wasn't with their group. That was quite perplexing. Pew, pew. Now shall we go to the toilet room? So, just to recap. She was where the inmates would have sat in one of the pews? It said it was down on the front row. Yeah. Or do they mean the front row of the balcony balcony or something? didn't say, so I don't know. I guess we'd have to I guess you can just guess. All right, one of the more particular areas of the reformatory is dubbed the toilet room. This room has been designed, designated as a storage area for many old porcelain thrones removed from the cells and elsewhere. Throughout the prison, this plumber's nightmare is well known as a hotspot of paranormal activity. Plumber's nightmare or plumber's dream? Here is Scott's Look at all these thrones. The toilet room is on what used to be the first floor of the hospital. When inmates were sick, they would get a slip. Every morning, guards would line up the inmates with sick slips and walk them down to what is now the toilet room. There was a doctor there named Dr. Saltz. According to my book, My 30 Hard Years. Oh, according to the book, My 30 hard years, 1933 to 1963, by former assistant superintendent Dana W. Allen. The inmates didn't only go down there because they were actually sick. They would also go down there so they could stand in line with other inmates with whom they wouldn't normally have contact. That way, they could jump them or pass notes to them, or whatever. According to Alan, Dr. Saltz 
could pretty much look down at you and tell if you were actually sick or if you were down there with ulterior motives. If you weren't sick, he had this concoction of Epsom salts and castor oil that you would have to drink in front of him. Salts was six foot seven inches and 350 pounds. That's about the size of the shadow I've seen many times in here. You mean Dr. Salts didn't give you Dr. Pepper? No, he gave you a salt. <laughs> Epsom salt and castor oil. Yummy. That sounds like that would probably make you throw up. Violently throw up. <laughs> or really dehydrated. All right, so now Teresa's experience in the toilet room. On my very first visit to the reformatory in October 2006, my husband Jay and I watched a young man hide behind the toilet room door with the intent of ambushing his friends in the spirit of fearful fun. But when the time came to spring forth, the young man couldn't budge the large steel door. <laughs> Karma. Sounds of footsteps and shuffling emanated from the back of the room as a shadow lurched around him in the gloom. The tables now thoroughly turned. The would-be frighteners fear rose and he screamed to be let out. His pal, the intended target of the joke, safely on the outside of the door, shouted to him that the door wasn't locked. In fact, it had no lock on it at all. The trap man pounded ineffectively on the heavy door as several would-be rescuers tugged in vain to get it open. Please, God, let me out of here. There's something in here with me, he implored. Push the door, dude. It's not locked, bellowed his friend with a hint of impatience. It won't move. Please hurry. Then try pulling it. I did. It's stuck. We examined the door, but there was no lock, no latch, nothing jammed or stuck that would prevent it from opening. A crowd gathered around the reluctant door. The trap man's cries became childlike whimpers. Step back. We're going to try to pull it open from this side. We all called to him. Then, as if it suddenly changed its mind, the still door slowly swung open. No one on either side was touching it. After a stunned moment, the toilet room hostage realized he was free and bounded out of the room in a blur of limbs and terror. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the toilet room hostage. He was shaken and scared, but physically unhurt, repeating that there had been someone or something in the room with him, something that kept the door from opening, and that's then that something opened it. Oh, my goodness. You ever had, like, a bout of claustrophobia? No. Like, it can make you, like, violently want to escape from somewhere. I have had a door not open on me, what was supposed to have opened, and had that panic set in. Yeah. Our bedroom door has done that to me a couple of times. Has it? Where it doesn't want to open. Oh. And that kind of creeped me out a couple of times. Then he's in a closet with the shadows closing in around him. Because, I mean, even if... It wasn't a shadow entity when you're in a dark place. The Shadows darkness do, does tend to like, I don't know what it is about our eyes, but it starts. I see shit just in the dark and I don't like it. Becoming more dark. And then, yeah, you start experiencing visions and things. That's why I don't like the dark. I am scared of the dark. Weird shit happens in the dark. 
to yeah. the cell blocks. Yeah, I can totally understand his one. Get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> I'm never coming back here. I did like him as the toilet room hostage, though. Yeah. <laughs> a great TV show name. Episode name. There is a film. I think it's called The Lady in White. And one of the scenes in it, the boy gets locked in the coat room when they leave for the night and he starts to go crazy. It's a wild movie from, I think, the late 80s. If that ever happened to me, I would just have to close my eyes. and I would too. Just have to try to fall asleep or something. Just Yeah, if you keep your eyes open, you're going to start having the same trick on you. I would yeah. just have to close my eyes and just... Just sit there and try to breathe. Yeah. I'd see shit and I would freak myself out. And well, heck, you were in the hallway with me the one time at mom's house. Oh, yeah. Because you were trying to help me get over my fear of the dark. And I was literally freaking out just in the hallway. Yeah. In the dark. Oh, yeah. I I don't do dark well. Well, that hallway was creepy anyway. That house was fucking haunted. And that hallway was creepy. (laughs) And whatever was in the house didn't like me. Called me a witch constantly. You are a witch. I am, but it, was, <laughs> it wasn't nice. Oh. Like, you witch. Oh, yeah. You can't put that kind of inflection on it. Yeah. You say witch, but if you go witch. But I think it's because it knew that I knew it was there. <laughs> like, I could say, that's the first time I ever had a vision was in that yeah. house. Yeah. And I visioned a woman getting chased into the bathroom. I remember that. Yeah. There was about a lot of weird energy in that house. All right. On to the cell blocks. Yay. The two main cell blocks spread out from the central administration building like the wings of a bird, ready to flap away to freedom. The east and west cell blocks are almost mirror images of one another, with one exception. The east block stands a very... The East Block stands six tiers high, holding the distinction of being the world's largest freestanding cell block. The West Block is nearly as towering at five tiers. Both cell blocks have long since been emptied, but many visitors still feel the presence of the inmates who once called them home. Each cell seems poised like a rat trap, ready to spring shut upon a visitor who strays too close. The metallic clang of the cell door slamming is a common report on the blocks. Even though most of the rusty doors have long since lost the capacity to close. The cell blocks have many ghostly tales to tell. As many institutions, overcrowding conditions came to plague the reformatory. These conditions helped fuel the atmosphere of tension and violence. Fighting was commonplace among the men. And the strong preyed on the weak in a Darwinian race to the bottom. The Mansfield Reformatory Preservation Society Museum is filled with artifacts collected from inmates over the years. The resourcefulness of some of these men is astonishing. Anything from a bar of soap to a toothbrush could be turned into a deadly weapon, and was. Most inmates learned to withstand the oppression to the oppression and constant threat of violence, but it, but for others it was simply too much, and suicide became a valuable option. Do you have any idea what how many inmates were held there? I don't think it said. 
Yeah. Maybe maybe I can find some numbers. Then there is a section here from Ghost Adventures, which I won't read because you can just read the book or watch the Ghost Adventures. We have a Scott personal experience. I'm a photographer by trade. And if you show me a picture, I can probably figure out an explanation for any anomalies. About 100,000 pictures have been submitted here from ghost hunts over the years. But I have found only seven I can't explain photographically. What appears in those seven are phenomena that have been reported for decades, including a shadow guy on the fourth tier of the east cell block and a figure going into a cell on the west cell block. My coolest experience was seeing a shadow figure up on the fourth tier of the east cell block on the north side. One night in 2010, I was closing up. It was about 5.30 in the morning, and I was the only one in the building. I was walking down to close up the toilet room, and I heard somebody walking, crunching on the paint chips on the fourth tier. I looked up, didn't see anything and thought there must be a big old raccoon up there or something. I kept walking, look up again, and saw a shadow figure, pretty much pacing me. I stopped, it stopped. I walked, it walked. Finally, I got about halfway down, stopped, and said, That's okay, keep on going. It sat there for a second or two, then started walking again. I kept walking toward the toilet room. When you get to the end on the fourth tier, there's a catwalk over to the library. The shadow figure went to the catwalk and stood there watching me as I walked. I closed the toilet room up, keeping one eye on that guy, and then it occurred to me, Oh shit, I have to go up there and close those doors too. I announced. I'm just going up to the second floor to close that door and leave me alone, all right? As I headed up the stairs to the second floor, I heard footsteps heading off to the library. I closed the second floor door, then ran like a schoolgirl off to the bullpen. That was the most extended paranormal experience I've had. I probably would have asked it, hey, can you shut the door on the second floor? Yeah. Hey. (laughs) Hey, why are you up there? See, my my luck is I would say something like that, and they would just respond, Yeah, no problem. And I'd go, fuck! Ah! <laughs> I do it all the time. Like, we'll have a cabinet door open, and I'll be like, oh, Can yeah. you shut that, please? Yeah, I had an argument with a spirit a while back that would open my counter, or my uh, glass door on my bookshelf. And I would sit down on the couch watching it, and I said, will you shut that? And it would slowly close back, and I'd look back, and it would be opening up again. And be like, what did I say? And <laughs> it would close it back a little bit. <laughs> Is it maybe lead paint chips? Maybe those give off a rose scent. <laughs> I don't know. We did find the answer to your question. Oh, you did? My crack 5, team of... was at its peak. Shoot, in two, di- in two cell blocks. Mm-hmm. So that was... 2,500 people in each cell block? What, Damn. 154,000 overall? Yeah, 154,000 overall in its lifetime. Yeah. Shoot. So it seems like most of them happened at that moment in time. Well, it, 
I mean, it did say it was the biggest prison block in America. Yeah. I guess I just didn't expect it to be 2,500 people in each block. I think it was that one that on uh, Portal to Hell or whatever, the the interview they were doing before they walked to the cells, is he said you'd see someone on the fourth row... lean over the balcony mm-hmm. and look at look down at them. That's I think what happened on Ghost Hunters was they kept seeing somebody walking <coughs> a couple of ro- or balconies up and they'd get up there and there'd be nothing there but then all of a sudden it'd be down below them. Mm-hmm. And they it was like one of those things that they just kept chasing it and it just kept moving. I think it was Ghost Hunters that did that one. So if it's six tiered that's 400 person people on each tier. It's what 100 cells, four to a cell. Probably. Maybe. Sounds about right for overcrowding. Yeah. Probably in cells that were designed to hold two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think you said it was 600 cells or something. Or did it never say? It's 250,000 square feet. <laughs> yeah, it said the sixth tier one is 600 cells. Okay. So, yeah. All right. So, yeah, four to a cell at its maximum capacity, probably. All right, we got Cells of Infamy. There are several notorious cells on East and West Cell Block. The aforementioned Cell 13, where Larkhart set himself on fire, and Cell 14, where his unfortunate neighbor DJ DJ Fly lived, and Cell X. Cell X is located... I wonder if DJ Fly needs 350 to shut the door. (laughs) And Cell X. Cell X, located on the second tier of the East Block, is where investigator Dustin Prairie and Dave Tango from Ghost Hunters famously chased phantom footsteps and darting shadows in the episode that aired October 2005. See? See, that's the one that I thought of. Like, they have a video because they set the camera on the edge of, like, the end of one of the rows of cells, and it was they were chasing the sound of the footsteps. They had a shadow figure leave a cell and like looked like it bolted out the other direction. Maybe it was that one, yeah. Yeah. In the same episode, team leader Jason and Grant heard footsteps overhead and banging noises on the second tier of the West Cell Block. And Grant later heard whispers from Cell X. If you visit the block today, you can see Cell X clearly marked with an X by investigators. As maybe, and maybe you'll you'll run into a noisy shadow or two. So it doesn't talk about the apparition. This is one I think where they were just chasing it up and down the cell block, like literally up mm-hmm. one floor I don't down. Remember that part? Yeah, but I could have sworn it was this one that. I think that, that one. I really do think that one is Eastern State, and I think I'm pretty sure that was Eastern State Penitentiary. But I do often get Ohio uh, Reformatory and Eastern State confused because they are very similar looking buildings. They're kind of that castle yeah. look to yeah. them. I don't know. We'll have to do Eastern State. I don't think we've done Eastern State. I think Eastern State's where they filmed The Last Castle. Let's go to Solitary. That's when you get to be in a cell by yourself. Solitude. Instead of with three other people. (laughs) (laughs) Solitary confinement, better known as The Hole, is hidden away in the lower levels of the reformatory. The Hole is a series of single-man cells lined up along two back-to-back corridors. The cells are dark, dank, and cramped. Little more than a stone box, little more than stone boxes enclosed by heavy iron doors. Designed for short-term search, short, designed for short-term discipline, 
isolation of the prisoners most violent prisons most violent inmates the hole was sometimes over capacity most notably after a prisoner uprising in 1957 it was tough enough for one man to be confined in a small place for any length of time but far worse if you were saddled with a roommate one account tells us of two inmates going into a cell but only one coming out one inmate had snapped and murdered the other, shoving his body under the bunk. Here oh. is Teresa's experience in the hole. Meet Mike Evans. In 2010, visit with Kathy Wibber, our good friend and psychic Jackie Williams, was on hand to share her impression of the reformatory. Jackie wasted no time in zeroing in on some of the strangest, or strongest energies in the building, and we followed like lemmings, descending into the bowels of the Ohio State Reformatory solitaire. Solitary. She's a pretty good writer. Mike Evans, he popped up before in one of the other cases we did. Remember? Who? Mike Jones. Oh. Mike Evans. Who? Mike Did Evans. He? Yeah, he popped up in one of the ones where they... We're investigating another location and Mike showed up. And they talked about how they'd run into him at the Ohio State Reformatory. Remember okay, that? Yeah. It's like a ghost that follows him around. Yeah. Jackie is a strong woman, confident in her abilities and unafraid to confront the darkness. It's exceedingly more difficult when, like Kathy and me, you can't see what you're hunting. Should I bark or something when I find one? Jackie asked sarcastically. Well, yeah, I guess. Oh, oh, oh. Jackie vocalized like a bloodhound pointing in a tiny black cell. I began an EVP session in the cell, and Jackie stood in the narrow hallway looking amused. What's so funny? According to Jackie, the resident spirit was had answered every question I had asked, but I had heard none of it. Feeling that I was ignoring him, the spirit had become indignant and had ordered me out of his cell. I wonder, sometimes I wonder if that's what happens when you're doing like one of those sessions. Oh, yeah. Jackie, get, Jackie gave us a detailed description of the spirit named Mike, who was literally screaming obscenities in my ear. He was young, early 20s, longish, dirty, brown, dirty blonde hair, very thin, even a man, even emaciated about six foot tall and been sent to the reformatory sometime in the 1970s for burglary among other things he didn't like me one bit bit i took jackie's advice advice and moved to another cell on another visit in november in november 2011 i was leading a group of 43 people who came down from cleveland on a bus for a tour and ghost hunt I was a teacher of occult and supernatural topics at Pol Polaris Career Center. The perk of the job was organizing and leading tours to some of the area's more interesting haunted locations, the most popular of which was Mansfield. After the tour of the prison, we, spent, we spread out to explore at our leisure. Joining me this evening were Kathy, Joe Chitty, Jordan Murphy, and Daniel Hooven. Experienced poor paranormal investigators, all. We started our investigation in solitary. Jordan and Daniel had never been to Mansfield and were anxious to begin. The five of us found out just how dark and claustrophobic solitary could be. I was hoping to have another encounter with our indignant 
friend Mike. Though I was going to be a lot harder without our ghost town Jackie with us. We decided to do an EVP session on the front side of the solitary. Kathy and I entered separate cells. Kathy heard the sound of shuffling in her cell, but felt drawn to other cells on the opposite wall, to which she moved our little entourage. Jordan and Daniel took turns going solo in the cells we felt most strongly about. We were all running digital recorders and videotaping. After a few quick burst EVP sessions, immediate playback and review of the recordings, it was evident that the dark cells were far from vacant. In all my years as a paranormal investigator, I have never received the astonishing volume of responses we did that night down in solitary. Questions after questions, sessions after sessions, we captured numerous EVPs. It didn't even seem to matter what we asked. There was almost always an answer. Typically, we like to capture one or two EVPs in a night. It may have been the presence of three women in the group or the par- Pandora's box, the nickname given to the conver- Covenant older digital recorder that we used that night. Or the entities were familiar with Kathy and me. But whatever the case, we directly communicated with the spirits. Many of the responses were screamed and unintelligible, but some were unmistakable. My name is Daniel. What's your name? Do you have a name that we, or were you just like a number? In response, we hear clearly hear Mike Evans. The voice told us he was prisoner number seven, nine. He seemed to know more about us than we knew about him. Mike also seemed to enjoy having young, lovely Jordan in his cell. The reaction was quite different from when I asked the question or entered his space. His answers became more disturbing, filled with swearing and screaming, shut up, you fucking bitch, and other more creative obscenities. Kathy took a gentle maternal role while I was more bold and assertive. I don't normally use provocation, but it seemed acceptable for this instance. We offered Mike some of the trigger objects we had brought with us, including a worn deck of cards, some highly desired cigarettes, and even a pocket knife. Do you want to land in solitary? Kathy asked. Do you what did you what did you do to land in solitary? Kathy asked. Do you miss your mom? What's your message? I was shocked when we played the recording. After the maternal reference, we picked up a heart wrenching response. Mother I was taken aback by sadness in the voice, but my sympathy was short-lived when the next message he had for us was a loud, forceful scream, bone-chilling and angry. Kathy's, Kathy's questions received some, some clear answers while mine were met with cussing and obscenities. I believe we were communing with the same spirit, Mike, whom I had angered, the year bef- angered a year before. Does she have a website where like people could go and listen to any of these i'm sure they do it's not listed in here but i bet they do yeah her name is Teresa argy t-r or t-h-e-r-e-s-a-a-r-g-i-e because i mean they sound like remarkable evps the way they're describing them because usually evps are something where it's like they're like oh my goodness they said the treasure was buried on oak island (laughs) you're like (laughs) I don't know if I got that out of there. Especially when it was really like a... And yeah. they're like... That's, yeah, it's... The treasure is buried where? <laughs> yeah. No, it was a syllable at most. 
<coughs> they said, get out. <laughs> and then there's a couple other little stories in here. We won't get into them. I mean, they're just more about Mike. About Mike. And then there's some more information about the sounds, ghost. Sounds like her and Mike really butt heads. And more ghost adventures crap. And then she even talks about Mark and Debbie Constantino, which was a very tragic story where Mark committed murder-suicide and killed Debbie. In and the himself. place? No. Oh. But they were... Um, I know you know who they are. If we watched one of the episodes, we, you'd probably see them and go, oh, yeah. They were the EVP experts that were usually called in for ghost adventures to do it. Oh. Um. Because I, I want to say it was in that book. There was one location where people went in there to ghost hunt and one of them killed the other and then killed themselves. Wasn't it in that book? I don't remember if or, it was that book or something, another one. But yeah. But, there there was an area that was like that. I think it was a house, though. It wasn't a prison. Or it yeah. might have been a hospital. Or I'm really telling you, if you're into hauntings, this book is really good. And I know we've covered a lot of the cases in here. Some of them I've read verbatim like this one, and then some of them I haven't. So, I mean, it's still there's still a whole lot of information, too, that I haven't read. Oh, yeah. And we skipped um, over large portions of it. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing left is right, Waverly Hills, and that's one that I think will be a multi-part episode. Waverly Hills. And this one almost could technically that's be. We're almost at two hours. I wanna be. But, wow, yeah. But that's going to do it for tonight's exploration of Ohio State Reformatory. Well, thank you for bringing this one to us. It's yes. very fascinating. It's one of those places that I think almost every ghost hunter show has been on because it's such an active location. Yeah, right. You know, as you know, those TV shows, they pick the more active locations because they want something. And I know that's one thing with like ghost hunters you see because when it started out, they were doing like houses. Yeah, and, and you they, have some episodes that nothing would happen. And then they started getting into where they'd go to like those more yeah, popular well, haunted places. Well, they also help to promote the paranormal tourism industry. Yes. Because like a lot of these places were just like, this building's here abandoned. I mean, we're, we're like doing what we can for it, but there wasn't like, let's try to talk to some producers and get some camera crews in here until really they started doing this. I think my dream job would be to, or one of my dream jobs would be to own and run a plethora of haunted B&Bs. Yeah. But in places like this. So like it's, and I mean, this is probably too big of a location to have a haunted B&B, but you know, like extremely haunted locations like this. That I convert into haunted bed and breakfasts. Oh, you so. could totally do that there. Restore <laughs> the um, the living quarters for yeah. the ward, and then it sounds like there's a ton of rooms you could rent out, and then you do haunted ghost go. tour. You do ghost tours at night through the yeah through the, the prison, prison part of yeah. it. Just yeah. turn the, just turn all the cells into one bedroom. Uh, there you go. You can sleep with Max or Mark Evans or Mike, Mike Evans. Evans. What they got six hundred, six hundred cells just on one side, mm -hmm. and then probably like five hundred on the other. Hey, that's eleven hundred rooms you have right there. Yeah, you're yeah. like the Holiday Inn of ghosts. No, I don't know. I, I just there's a lot of work involved in owning a B and B, but for some reason I've always wanted to own a and B. 
I don't know why. Probably because I watched Bob Newhart growing up. I think it was Bob Newhart, one of his shows that he had a B and B in uh, New Hampshire. Oh, well, I used to watch all the time on Nick at Night when I was growing up. I think it was a Bob Newhart show. Yeah. But anybody knows? Remind me. Let me know. Ah, those were the days. Oh, wait, that's another show that I used to watch on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were the days. That was a good show. Those were the days. All in the family. And then there was happy days. If you know of a haunted location that you want us to cover, yeah, email us or message us on Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. All of those are at UMP Normalcy. Email is umpnormalcy at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to like us and follow us on all those places, too, if you don't have any ideas. I found an awesome thing that I shared the other day that was a picture of Nessie with a sign that says, Need 350. <laughs> that I had to share. Because that's like been the going gag since we did the Nessie episode. Um, and apparently that episode is just going to be mentioned constantly for the rest of this month. Cause it's now three episodes in a row. We have mentioned the Nessie episode. Yeah. Um, it stays with you. It does. It's a good episode. Um, if you are ever so inclined, go ahead and leave, buy us a coffee. The link for that is in the description of this show. And it's also on our website at umpnormalcy.com. And I think that will do it for tonight. Until next time. Keep digging. Leonard the Paranormal Seas is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great information, just listen to it. Visit our catalog.